When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit with their incredible Lira mic and a wonderful set of headphones. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the best way to do it. We chat with Alan Hewitt this week. Alan's list of credits is too extensive to mention in a short podcast intro, but they include Earth, Wind & Fire, The Moody Blues, Warrant, and The Grand Tour. He's written music that has appeared in critically acclaimed movies and TV series, played with Hall of Fame musicians, and released several solo albums. His new band is called One Nation and leans more on Alan's love of prog rock. His new album should be released by the end of summer 2021. Better be because it's titled 2021 and he has tour dates in place. Alan's very candid about his career. He started as a drummer, but taught himself keyboards, which blows my mind. In addition to touring with the Moody Blues and writing original prog rock with One Nation, he's also an ambassador for Fetch Fido A Flight, which helps adult dogs find homes before it's too late. Check out alanhewittandonenation.com for release information, tour dates, and social media info. Follow us at Performance ANX. Follow us, review us, rate us, really helps us out. We like coffee and we accept it at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merch like shirts, mugs, and shower curtains are available at performanceanx.threadless.com. And I can't think of a prog pun to get us into this episode, so let's just start it here on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. This is Alan Hewitt. I'm here with Mark doing Performance Anxiety. I'm the keyboardist for the Moody Blues, and my band, Alan Hewitt and One Nation, has got a new record coming out uh, in the end of the summer. We'll be out touring as well. So everybody uh, join us today and we're gonna talk about some things that we've been doing and uh, see what Mark can come up with. So is that good enough? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Where are you? I'm in Winchester, Virginia. Oh, okay, cool. We're on the same coast. Oh, okay, where are you at? Uh, Vero Beach in Florida. Oh, that's a nice area. Man, and I used yeah. to... I've good had... name. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because it started off as that—that that was kind of the idea was to talk to everybody about how you know how if they had any performance anxiety, if if they got if they had to get over it, you know what yeah. what causes you anxiety as a performer, and yeah. 
I forgot to ask that most of the time. <laughs> so, so it just kind of became a, a real casual conversation about uh, right. each guest's careers and the really fun behind the scenes stories of recording and touring and people you work with. So, yeah, that's cool. And I never, I, I don't want it to be a gotcha show where I'm asking all these, you know, questions that nobody wants to answer. Like, Oh, Hey, so, uh, you know, what, what substances are you on? You know, what, tell me about this breakup of this band. I don't want any of that. I just want, I want fun stories. Yeah, whatever. You you just go for it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can elaborate a lot. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Every show basically starts off with the same topics, I guess. So what I like to find out is how you got into music in the first place. You're known for being a keyboardist, but that's not exactly how you started off, right? You started off on a completely different instrument. Yeah, I actually, I started off as a drummer. And for quite a long time, I mean, in, into my 20s, I still played drums and I went to Berkeley School of Music playing drums. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So um, I played in this band. I mean, obviously there's stuff before this, but after I got a little, you know, better, I played with this band when I was probably 14 and we all uh, had, you know, hair down to our back, yeah. middle of the back. And we had cat, we wore caftans. Oh, and, uh, we were kind of like a Emerson, like a Palmer type thing. Oh, wow. Um, the keyboard player had really, I mean, red, flaming red hair that came out to there. And, wow. and we did, a, we did a lot of, we did a lot of concerts cause people kind of, they thought we were pretty, pretty strange. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but with the music we did was, um, we took, we did like Tchaikovsky and we took uh, Nutcracker Suite for instance, and we made it into our own thing. And, oh. um, and my drum set was huge. It was, I had eight Tom Toms. It was called an octopus. So I had eight Tom's Toms up there, two down on the floor, two, two double bass, two timpani, two gongs, vibes, um, wow. marimba. You know, basically what Carl Palmer, his kind of his setup. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so that was, that was for a long time until I went to, when I, when I went to Berkeley, you have to take your drum kit and haul it all over the place because you do these ensembles with different people oh. in the, in the building. Wow. And it, you can imagine. So I cut it way <laughs> down there. And plus it's got to fit in a locker. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a, that was a big, big change in that. And then, you know, I started, I started, started, um, really get into composing and I played vibes too. So I'd always played around on piano and, okay. and always, you know, wrote songs from 12 on and, and, uh, just got, you know, getting better and better at it. And I realized at that point, that's where I was going to, be switching over at some point to, to keyboards. Oh, wow. So did, <laughs> with growing up, did you take lessons on both instruments, uh, keys and drums, or did you just take one natural, take to one naturally? I had some lessons from a guy in the music store and I'm from a really small town and you know, he was good and I learned some stuff from him, but impetuous as I am, I kind of, I pretty much, I learned school of hard knocks, you know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing you know yeah. listening to the go back and listening to the discography as much as i could because you have yeah. quite 
an enormous discography. <laughs> I am yeah. incredibly amazed that you that yourself basically self taught. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's. Yeah, well, I think anybody could probably do it. It's just a matter of, you know, I was stubborn, and so <laughs> I, you know. And that's all I ever did. I mean, I mean, I played, I did play some sports along the way, you know, and up until my mid, well, like high school level. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, but, but music was always the predominant thing. And luckily I was in a, a really nurturing town that really supported music. And we were doing, I mean, all the bands there were really good. Duffy was my guitar player in, um, one Nation, yeah. our guitar player. He's from up there, too. Oh, really? And he was in another band, so we've known each other since we were kids. Oh, wow. And, and there was tons of uh, progressive rock bands up there, believe it or not, in this small place, and we would throw these uh, we would throw these pop, little pop festivals where we'd set up a semi-truck trailer, and everybody would co-op their equipment, and, and we'd play these concerts, you know, and, uh, you know, the people would donate. And it was it was a really cool thing. That's probably kind of what's happening. That's little that's happening now. Yeah, oh, with, that's with awesome. something. So, what was yeah. your sport of choice growing up? Um, baseball was my was what I was best at. But I love basketball. But I I was just okay at basketball oh. and skiing. Oh skiing wow! And yeah, but up in Michigan, you gotta be you gotta be a skier, you right? Gotta ski. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's... a lot of guys play hockey too. I, I wasn't that good at hockey. Oh man, yeah, baseball was mine just because I was too small. I, I played football for like one or two years, and I'm five foot six. You know, once you hit high school and you stay five foot six, you don't get too many opportunities. No, and you get your butt kicked too. It's not that fun. No, it's not. Those guys, the good thing is you probably got some knees left where your buddies don't. That's true. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. But you know, I didn't think of it that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what, what got you excited early on to play music and to pursue it? And when did you realize that that was something that you wanted to pursue professionally? I kind of knew at 12 really oh wow <laughs> uh, yeah my what would happen is my you know you you can't play uh bars until you're of age or i can't remember what the law was but my, my either my brother or my dad had to come and be my chaperone when i played bars with the older guys wow. and i i you know, i just took to it it was just like you know fish in the water so it's just was something that i always wanted to do i remember at uh Right around that age, I, I loved uh, the Mother's Invention. You ever heard of? Oh yeah, know, Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa, and um, I remember writing a letter to uh, Rolling Stone saying, "If you come in the area, you can come and stay at my house." I've asked my parents, and they said you could come stay at my house. <laughs> you know, that was after after some of the things. That's awesome. <laughs> but I loved um, the album, which had Peaches and Regalia on it, and. Because the guy played vibes, you know, and um, uh, Ainsley Dunbar, I think, was the drummer. And and there was just some cool stuff on there with Flo and Eddie also f- that were the Turtles. Yes. Who I later actually did a cruise with or something. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So so that was really... Um, I knew, and I and I just kept going, and and um, and actually at that time, um, you know, my parents were were pretty supportive because I was actually doing pretty good monetarily with with our band, and, and enough that we could buy, uh, we bought ourselves a van and a trailer, and new and all those drums and stuff like that. So so <laughs> we were actually able to make a thing at. I did get a, along the way. I think when I was getting ready to go to Berkeley. So what are you going to do 
after that, you know. Yeah. I got I did get that every once in a while. And I think I got it all the way up until uh, maybe when I started doing some big films. Oh really? You know, that late. Films and, 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 and they they go, Well, I guess it's working out yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mid, Midwest parents, it's just sure. the way they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were great. They were good because we practiced on our porch, my, my parents' porch. Oh wow. And boy, we would open the windows and let it rip. <laughs> and the whole town would hear it. That's oh, that's <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So all right, so when did you decide that, uh, or how did, I guess maybe more, how did you decide that Berkeley was the school that you wanted to go to? I mean, was that the only uh, one that you had your mind set on or were there other options? Yeah, yeah. it was either Berkeley or North Texas State because those were the two schools at the time doing um, jazz. Oh, okay. And I didn't want to do just traditional jazz. I wanted to do fusion. So um, that's where, you know, um, Chick Corea and Stanley Clark and, and all the, the Return Forever guys would mm-hmm. do sometimes go in there and do clinics. And some of the people that I knew that were teachers there, I didn't know them personally, but I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, you know, get some schooling from them. Right. So, um, and they were great because uh, when I was at school, you know, even at the time, I think it wasn't that today's standard it wasn't that expensive, but it was a bit, you know, for, for a guy to go to music school, my, it was a little over, over my parents, you know, level to, to do. So, um, to help out, I would play gigs. So I, I got, a um, one of my friends was a keyboard player in, in uh, T-Bone Walker's band, you know, um, oh, he wrote Stormy Monday. Yeah. So I would go out and do, um, shows with them. Oh, wow. This is like in my second year of, of college and they, they, uh, they, my teachers were so cool because they actually, that was the purpose of going to Berkeley. I mean, it's the gig. I mean, you want, you either are a teacher or you're a performer. Okay. So at that time it was, that was the thing. It was, they kind of respected me for that and they would, um, give me my classes, you know, prior to, and I would do them. I would do them when I'm on the road and I get, I'd get in for lots of things, you know, for cl- for other classes and too, but, but it was really cool how they were, you know, I, you know, and so that, that's that worked awesome. out great, man. That's yeah. awesome. You know, that's not often you hear programs that are that understanding of the, the lifestyle of the people that they're going to be, that they're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're excellent. Was singing something that was, that you're always doing or did that come later? Yeah, grudgingly, I think it did. <laughs> I, I always sang. I liked, I really enjoyed it until I got a record deal. <laughs> and um, and then they started dictating where things should go. Oh, yeah. And really kind of at that point, I was pretty naive and, and didn't like the criticism too much. And I was trying to do what they were doing. But I, they, I mean, they would go all the way from, I want you to sing like Michael Bolton. Or can you sing like Todd Rundgren or can you sing like uh, this guy or that guy, whoever was hot at the time. Right. um, Finally, I I made a decision along the way that I was just going to concentrate on keyboards and, and writing. And that was like the best day of my life (laughs) (laughs) at that time, because just, I had some peace of mind at that point. Um, and gradually as I 
you know, got my self-esteem back and stuff, then I was fine. I, you know, I, I, what I eventually did is I just said, you know what, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to be who I am. And I don't care what you think. And that's, that's where, where I think I made a turning point because it started just writing what I wanted to write and stuff because in Los Angeles, I mean, and I'm sure Nashville is the same way you know, you're writing for a specific person, say like Eddie money is doing a new record and Alan, uh, let's write a thing for Eddie money. So you, you'd have to delve into that person and write that way, you know, Right. Yeah. which is great. I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing and a a neat opportunity, but sometimes you can lose yourself of who you are as an artist in that too. If you want to remain an artist that, you know, I didn't think about that yet. Cause you have to, really study that person in order to write a song that they're going to want to sing and record. Yeah. You, it's a really, it's kind of a ESP thing. I mean, it's almost like you got to get into their head and you know, what would this guy really like and what would be successful for him? That's why sometimes it's nice to write with a co-writer on those things because they can kind of go one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Cause you don't yeah. want it to, to rehash what they've already done. You don't want it to sound like exactly. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Maybe like the part two, you know, shaken part two. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, some of the, so what's been nice is like along the way, like say with Donny Osmond, uh, we wrote, I, I started the song and wrote most of it. And then um, he came in and wrote the lyrics and then we made some changes that he thought would be cool. And they were, they were really good ideas. Um, Outside your house, peek through your window, I see through everything you hide. No surprise, there's no use wearing a disguise. So it's think that's where it really comes in handy uh, when uh, when the artist is also he knows what they're going doing and of course with Maurice White from Earth Wind and Fire we wrote all the time and um, we would write things a lot of times I'd start things out musically and then he would um, you know sing some lyrics out or give me an idea why don't you go this way or that way and and we would have a ball doing it because it's it's an inner action between you know two guys and he was just so wonderful to work with so when did the production bug hit you was that at berkeley uh yeah pretty much i mean it kind of started there because there they had some nice composition things and they had some production classes and stuff like that and what happened is uh after that um i moved to i had a band with duffy that we were on the road for a couple years um nonstop and we were based out of florida well that kind of split up and i went to new york and we started a band there and ended up in chicago okay that's when the production kind of i believe got a little bit because i i had this great band to work with and then we you know i would just every day write and then we would work these songs out that's all we had to do we didn't have to do anything (laughs) and um and and so and what happened from that is my friend Paul Klingberg, um, who's a great engineer uh, with Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's done Foreigner. He's done I'm just thinking about all these different groups: Chicago, uh, Cheap Trick. Oh man! <laughs> um, 
ministry, oh, a whole bunch of bands. Ministry, so, oh, uh, that was the loudest concert I have ever been to. I'll bet. It was outside, <laughs> and I had to hold my ears. I'll bet. I'll bet. They were nuts. Um, so <laughs> we worked in a studio in um, Evanston, which is out uh, north Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we were basically Paul's band to practice his craft with. He he saw us in a club and he goes, man, you guys are good. He goes, do you want, do you want to come in and record and, and we can do some stuff together? Since we did that for two years or so. Oh, wow. And um, I learned a lot of old style recording because that was still when things were being done on tape. Okay. So I learned, you know, all the things that, are necessary to do that, you know, compression, limiting, cutting tape, all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So that was, that was a really great learning experience. Well, then at that point, what happened is we, he moved out to LA and then I moved out to LA okay. and then things started escalating from there. Isn't I mean, I'm, I'm really condensing yes. this, yeah. <laughs> but what happened is I started writing for a lot of different people, Jane Weedland, um, uh -huh. Jonathan Butler, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire, all these different groups. And as I'm d doing that, I'm, I'm having to really turn in top notch demos that are almost complete because everybody else is doing that. So, okay. so as I got better and better equipment, better writing, um, all those things really helped. And then I always loved to produce Pro production is one of the best things to do because you can take something from the beginning to the end and see it finish. Yeah. You know? So what was your first production credit that wasn't something that you were working on for yourself? My first record that I put out was, um, cause the ones that I got signed to A&M never got done. Oh, um, okay. So I got dropped when I, you know, like right pretty much, not too, it wasn't that long after I got signed. So, because uh, what happens is when you're at a label, a lot of times the, the head of the label leaves, gets a better thing. Yep. Well, once, if they're your guy, if I'm their guy, I'm done too. Yeah, that's, I've that's heard that a few times. That's just the inevitability and it happens all the time. Yeah. So, since I was a developing artist, that happened. But so, um, that's kind of came to, a situation where I said, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and do this. So I did my first record was native heart and it was, right. it was more of an instrumental record, but it had kind of concept thing to it. was actually a calling card and got me a lot of TV things and, and started me out in the film. And what then, was it about that um, album that real, that everybody was really drawn to? Cause that did from what I was looking at, you've done so much work in TVs yeah. and movies. And if, if, yeah. what was it about that album that, that drew people into it? I think it had a, at the time, I, well, I'm always been in Peter Gabriel and uh, Genesis, that kind of thing. Um, but Peter Gabriel, I really like the African stuff, um, the influence. Right. 
And that album, Native Heart, had a lot of that. And not just African, but I had Native American influences in there too. Okay. Because uh, I'm from, I'm the area I grew up in is a, is basically a reservation. So, um, so that that's kind of I think what they're attracted to because a lot of movies you you hear you know you'll hear like loops yeah things like that well, I was making those um at the time and they must have thought well I guess this stuff's pretty good let's yeah. give this guy let's give this kid a try <laughs> so now was Native Heart beef uh after you, you were working with Earth Wind and Fire it was before, it was before. actually a couple a couple of years before um I think what after Native Heart I did Native Heart I did um I did some other kind of soundtracky albums and did also got signed to QVC Atlantic. So oh, I did wow. some stuff for them. Yeah, that was, I think that was symphony and rock. So that was a, another path, <laughs> a totally different way. Wow. But every path kind of set up the next journey. So, so I always just would let it flow. <laughs> All right, so um, that makes me want to ask you a question real quick. Yeah. What, what part of the journey set you up for warrant? Because that was something that was totally unexpected when I started researching this. Well, that is more of a connection because um, I was managed by Concerts West. My good friend, Eddie Wenrick, who I'm still with, okay. um, is also they managed Beach Boys, Moody Blues, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, Jimi Hendrix prior to that. Wow. And a bunch of, and Warrant, and a bunch of bands like, you know, that were kind of Warrant style, you yeah. know, too, maybe weren't quite as known. And so what happened is that uh, they had done their first record, which was real successful. Yeah. They had Heaven on that. The second record was great. They had real, some nice stuff on it, but uh, the label didn't feel that they had a hit. Okay. So um, Eddie, our manager, called uh, me and said, uh, Janie's coming over to your house. You guys need to write a hit. The label oh. doesn't think they have it. Wow. <laughs> so Janie came over and um, he had a, an, a concept for what he wanted to do. He had um, he had kind of, you know, the cherry pie figured out, you know, and, and the, most of the chorus. And we just kind of went through and wrote, got the verses going and got the bridge. Wow. Um, and, you know, do, 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 yeah. do, all that stuff. And, yeah. and uh And uh, I, t I was saying this earlier today because I did an interview earlier. I did the um, uh, cherry pie. I, I really didn't, wasn't exactly sure what what he's talking because he didn't wasn't doing the verses. Oh, okay. And because uh, <laughs> he was singing, he was like did the verses. He was kind of had an idea. It was like a, you know. Did it on the top down, did it on down. He would do that. And so I'm going, okay. So I wasn't really, I wasn't really keen on the whole thing at, yeah. anyway, but um, we got going and it started coming together. Um, it was, 
getting to be like a you know semi aerosmith kind of thing you know and or guitar riffy right right um, so we got it done and it didn't take us very long we probably i don't as i always say half an hour but it probably was longer than that but it seemed like half an hour yeah. um, and, and uh, then we took it up to the studio that night where the guys were waiting with the producer bo hill and they started putting it down and the next day i think i got called in to do some other stuff like uh uncle tom's cabin i think i think i did some b3 oh, i like that. that song a lot that yeah song. that was the one that really janie would have liked to had he thought that was should have been the single yeah and yeah it would be a little bit heavier than i'm that. sure you've seen interviews where he didn't really appreciate me and mr terry <laughs> bye <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't want to say anything but uh yeah i have seen those interviews and i mean it's funny because i wasn't a big warrant fan at the time and i actually ended up liking that album more than the other stuff yeah so. it's it's you know there's some good players on it the, the guys played um well but the, the, there's um mike slamer did a lot of the guitars okay and he is a unbelievable guitar player and he's from england he was in a band that was um oh i'm just trying to think of what the city lights i think it was but the producer of of you know the guy that was married to shania twain oh uh mutt lang yeah mutt lang was was in his band oh wow so they had a great they had a great band and um so so mike did a lot of the guitars and and he you know he was like one of the guys that started that big fat sound yeah and, and you know, and then the, the all the guys in in um in, in the boys in Warren, they you know they also did their stuff too. Yeah. Um, but it was a well well produced record for yeah. sure. I was kind of blown away with it when I first heard it because it was it was much better than I than I had thought it was going to be. Because yeah, they're... I had friends who were huge Warren fans. I mean, they loved, and they're like, oh, let's, here's the new new album. Let's listen to it. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, they put it on like Uncle Tom's Cabin pops. On. I'm like, oh, I like this. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They, they made me a believer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Yeah, he was a talented. Jamie was very talented. He he was good. He just got caught up in his in in the the thing. That period of time was nuts. Yeah, I um, heard. You know, the Motley Crew, the the Warren, all that all that stuff. I mean, they they were all trying to outdo each other, and you you try to do that. I was a little older than them, so I didn't I didn't get caught up in any of that stuff because they wanted me to go out and tour with them. Um, oh. I got asked, and, and I said, "Hey, you know what? I don't think so." <laughs> <laughs> you've done so many i guess i should phrase it this way you have so many credits for tv and movies that's just got to be an insane complete different world from touring with moody blues or or writing native heart or that the voyages trilogy that that you put out and how do you get gigs like that and, and i guess more importantly do they tell you exactly what they're looking for or do they you get a lot of leeway as far as creating things like one of one of my favorite credits you have because it's one of my favorite shows is the grand tour
absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I love that show. I loved Top Gear way back when it was uh, Clarkson, May, and Hammond, and Grand Tour is just one of my favorite shows on TV. So when when I found out you had done that, the the music for that, I was like, this is awesome. I can't wait oh, to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to see when we go to England with the Moody's. I would sit, I'd watch that show. Those guys that. are hilarious. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, for for people that don't know, it's a, it's a couple guys that take cars out and either smash them up or race them. Yeah, <laughs> or they're, sometimes they're both. funny. It's very dry humor, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that show. So how it works kind of in different ways. There's there's several ways that I that my music gets on different things. Okay. Some things I'm called to actually compose right to the picture. So I have a way to play the picture as I write along to it. And then I, you know, on a, a digital audio workstation. Okay. Um, so that, that's the way like, and that, that would be like, for instance, swimming upstream with Jeffrey rush. <laughs> that's a, a movie that was kind of a, mm, what do they call it? Critically, critically acclaimed. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that was that kind of movie. Now, in that particular situation, they wanted something like Chariots of Fire. Well, Chariots of Fire is such a recognizable song. Yeah. That was really a tough one. It was pigeonholed me, and the I was working with another composer. Okay. So that was a that was difficult. And finally I came to something that was, you know, had the vibe, but but didn't come within the seven notes that you you can only go seven notes consecutively and all that kind of thing. So, um, so that, that was, for instance, that's one way. Um, another way is that you write for music libraries, which supply the music for a lot of shows such as grand tour. Okay. So, um, I did several, probably eight albums for music libraries. Universal has most of them. So all the, a lot of the TV shows, they just don't have time to call the composer up and go, Hey, can you write this music? Blah, blah, blah. So what they do is the engine, the um, cutters, the engineers go ahead and they, uh, they splice the editors, splice everything up, get the uh, music they want and they put it in. Um, so that's that's one of the big ways that composers get their stuff in. And then the the third way is um, if you get a whole show or um, or you just get parts of it, uh, whereas you have a song and they go, hey, we'd like to use this song in in our um, in our show. That would be like uh, Bridget Jones. So Bridget Jones was an example of I had a piece of music that was done a couple of years ago. They heard it, liked it and wanted it in, in the movie. Oh, wow. So, so that's, you know, there's just all kinds of different ways. The documentaries and things that I do, I, I do from start to finish. I do, you know, all the way through uh, 100%. And I, and I love doing those too. So there, yeah, there's so many different ways of doing it. And the thing is it's a gift that keeps on giving because they, the, those, that music keeps getting used and used and used and used. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that doing things like documentaries, you're getting the, the footage and you're just, instead of them making suggestions or hearing something, you're watching the entire film. I suppose, is, is that how that, that kind of stuff works? When you do it from beginning to end, you're basically composing it as you're watching it. Uh, what, yeah, what happens is you usually get things, they're called a cue. So say like it's a minute and 20, the, the scenes, say it's a race scene and mm-hmm. it's a one minute and 20 seconds long. So I'll get that piece of uh, footage, video footage, put that up on my DAW and 
start working with because there's all kinds of things you have to consider when you I should regress. They do give you an idea of what they would like normally. Now, there again, that's where you have to learn to get into their heads because they don't talk in musical terms. So they might talk in colors. They might talk in something they've heard before. Oh, we want this is a Led Zeppelin. We want a Led Zeppelin, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's when it gets a little dicey. So, um, so <laughs> you, what you do is you, um, and the other thing is every, every clip, if it's done well, editing is a, there's a tempo to it. Okay. And it's up to you to feel that tempo out because if you, if you're making your changes in the music too fast, it's going to ruin what they're trying to do. Oh. So, so that's, that's another thing you have to consider. So when you're doing the music, you know, you'll try different things out, but eventually there'll be something. Ah, so, okay. <laughs> so, now they might not think that yeah. but I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I usually stick to it. You know, I'll stick to my guns, but the, um, some composers will, or producers, directors will give you a temp score as well. And that temp score could be anything from another movie in the past that they liked and they, they edited to that. So that's, that gets a little bit more complicated because you're having to work with something that they've heard for the whole year. Right. So you're almost competing and, against a uh, previously recorded soundtrack that wasn't even made yes, for them. That's exactly what you're doing. You're competing. Wow. And that does happen a lot too. Yeah. Oh, so those wow. are the different kind of things I'm sure. And there's more than that, but those are the main ones. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. And then you've done some amazing stuff. Okay. So the grand tour is one of my favorites, home improvement, NFL, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, these yeah. are some incredible credits. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I've been, uh, lucky guy. I mean, I just, <laughs> I put in, I put in the time and, and, um, you know, I've had some great opportunities and kind of, you know, if you do decent then you'll get recommended to other people. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So hopefully like a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Like the podcast. Maybe do a good job. And All of a sudden you're on Showtime. <laughs> Who knows? Or Netflix. <laughs> I will have to get an actual editor for that. There you go. Not... <laughs> so you're also the keyboardist. For and a the... secretary. Get an editor and oh, a secretary. That, oh, you know what? If I can, get, I can get an editor, a secretary, a booker, any, everything that I do. I mean, maybe even get somebody else to host it. I just bring in the money. Ah. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> so you also are the, the the keyboardist for the Moody Blues. How did you yeah. get connected with them? Well, that's also through um, my management, and there there was their management too. Um, I had met in the late '90s. Um, they were in town. I think they were working on a record. And I met Justin, who is, you know, the Knights in the White Satin. Yeah. Um, and we just hung out. I had a sailboat, just a small one. And we would go out sailing. And, and he was a great guy. We just we just had a good time and um, just kind of buddy, being buds. And uh, um, I was doing, we had the riots, at the L.A. riots. And so right. I was working on some songs for this, um, it was called Rebuild L.A. Okay. And, and um, so at the I had uh, Sean Murphy from 
Little Feet. Yeah, oh, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. She's singing for Little Feet. And she'd been with Eric Clapton and, and Michael Bolden and a lot of other people as a background singer. Bob Seeger. She's she's oh, that. Okay. And, and um so she was over singing the lead on that song, and Justin was was around, so we sang backgrounds. And so that was really the only music we did. So fast forward 25 years, um, <laughs> I get a, uh, my manager gets a call from uh, their agent, who's a good friend of mine, uh, wasn't, but is now. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, is Alan interested in going on tour? They didn't tell us who it was. So uh, I said, yeah, if the, you know, we said, if, if the band's right, yeah. You know, because the thing is, if you leave LA, you know, all those things that I was doing that you just mentioned, yeah, they'll be gone because uh, you're out and those calls go to somebody else. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> so, point. Yeah. So, um, it was, you know, a big decision. So a couple of weeks went by, had a meeting with, with their agent, Robert, and, uh, he gave his approval and I get to call and say, you got the gig. Well, they said it was the Moody Blues. I said, yes, that's, that's great yeah. because I know the guys and I, and I'm compatible. We're compatible. So, um, so it was fun. It was a great, great decision. Cause I had a ball and, it's, uh, you know, one of those things in your life that's a highlight. Uh, they're excellent people yeah. to be with, and I just loved every minute of it, really. They were, it was just a fun. We had some really, some times that I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's some couple bad ones in there, but most of them are oh, good. Yeah. No, <laughs> and, it's bound to happen. <laughs> but like, I saw I, the, uh, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. It was just amazing. Just want the truth. Can that I... was a blast. And, and we weren't really on first. We were on last. Oh, wow. So the guys had to wait. It was, um, oh, it was a long time because, well, Bon Jovi was on first and then the cars came on and then um, some other people came on and then uh, Ann Wilson sang. Uh, and then and then I think it was our turn. And it was, it was getting late yeah. for one of those shows. It was at least four four hours plus. oh wow yeah yeah so uh jeez so the guys but they they hung in there and um and we did we did it and it was it was a it was a blast when you're touring with a band like the moody blues or the moody blues not not like the moody blues i guess the moody blues yeah does the set list change much or do you i mean how many songs do you have to learn because i mean they've got a you know pretty good catalog there yeah, how many? I've learned, I've learned most of them, but um, wow. we would do eighteen to twenty songs, and they have. There's about fourteen of them that are hits or things that they have to do. Yeah, I mean that. That's why I would, say, you know, I suggest, hey, why don't we do, you know, this song or that song? Well, which one are we going to take out? Yeah, because you know, the fans want to hear, you know, certain certain things. So, you know, usually there would be four new songs per tour. Okay. Um, sometimes not. Sometimes sometimes there was. <laughs> and we would have rehearsals because everybody lives in a different spot in the world. 
So we converge, for instance, say if we're going to start a U.S. tour, we'd converge and maybe rehearse in Nashville, um, which we did when um, Gordy Marshall had been the drummer for about 20, 21 years. We're we're totally great friends uh, and decided it was time for him to move on. And so I got Billy Ashbaugh, the uh, suggested Billy, and he got the gig. So he's in One Nation also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, he got the gig and we um, rehearsed in Nashville. And we so we did like a week or so of rehearsal there. And we learned, you know, new songs there. And of course, he had to learn all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, th- so instances like that. Also, when we did the final tour, Days of Future Past, the last one we did, that was a whole thing that we did was some we did two times with the orchestra. So that's a whole different animal there. Um, And and we did uh, about four days rehearsal with that. I think in Palm Springs, we started the tour and uh, did the whole United States. Wow. And uh, and then did the Hollywood Bowl with the the L.A. Symphony. Oh, that's amazing. And And then we did it again in Toronto with the Toronto Symphony. And that was recorded for PBS. So that went out as a DVD album. That's yeah. a, okay. That was that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned one nation. So how did that idea start and what, cause that's, you'd mentioned Duffy King on your, on guitar and, and Billy Ashball on drums and you have David Johnson uh, on bass. So how did you, right. so you knew Duffy and Billy already. Did you know David or did you have to, did you find him? David, we got from our our sound mixer for John Lodge. Oh, okay. uh, they both live over in Naples. Oh, and yeah. I said, you know, you know, any bass players in Florida that would be good for this? And he goes, I know the exact guy. <laughs> and so, so it was. Uh, so he goes, David is, is your guy. So as soon as we played with him, we knew exactly uh, he was our guy. And uh, he was music director for the. I mean, he was in the Neville Brothers all versions aaron neville's and all all the other neville brothers wow yeah so um he'd been with them for 20 years oh wow so it was good because we all had you know when you get to a certain level you when you get to rehearsal you want everybody to know the songs it's it's not like you're messing around with the songs there you know the song when you get there (laughs) right this stuff the one nation stuff is just complicated it's it's pretty in-depth stuff so yeah um, it's it's impressive stuff yeah I just wanted to get back to progressive, some really intense progressive rock music and fusion, love fusion and progressive rock. Those are my two favorite things. The Moody's are, the Moody blues are considered progressive rock, but there would be on the lighter side of the, the progressive rock. Oh, for scale. sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they did bring a lot to it with the Mellotron and things that they were doing with the orchestra. Yeah. So they brought a whole, whole new thing to it. So it, it does, they do have to get credit for that too. Oh, for sure. Um, but so that's that's what it was, and I started. I had the first version of it, which Duffy was in, in 2015, um, and I had some great guys. You know, Jamie Glazer from from uh, Chick Corea's Electric 
band and also he played with brian adams in the manhattans and then um uh, duffy king you know the guitar player in it now played in it as well and we had trevani collier from bruce hornsby and sonny emery from steely dan wow and, i mean unbelievable band that's but amazing i was too busy with the moody's to make it go any further so a couple years went by and we played since billy myself and duffy were in the john lodge band we would mess around with the songs at soundcheck oh nice and i go wow you know this this could be really nice she's got to get a bass player we'll be all set to go <laughs> so, so uh so that's what we did and we the great thing about it is that all the guys are it, it's a team and um we we work together and it's kind of like when i was younger and there was the money part of it wasn't involved record companies weren't involved just the music and going out and playing yeah so that's where that's where we're at you know we're we want to we have finally got we've got some offers now to play so we're gonna we're doing um prog stock in uh october 3rd it's a festival for progressive rock music with you ever heard of brand x oh yeah yeah so brand x will be there too and um so that's in uh rowie new jersey so during that we're gonna we're booking a tour around those dates, uh, probably a couple of weeks before that and a couple of weeks after. Oh, that's awesome. So we get to get out and play and have a great time. And uh, we're going to play a lot of the rooms that, that we play with John Lodge or when I went out with Justin on his tour. Um, there's smaller rooms that are more intimate. And that's what that's for this kind of music, is what, you know, you, it's it's good to do that for this, especially first time out. Oh, that is awesome. man! if you guys can ever yeah. get to the D.C. area, I'll be there. Oh, yeah, I think we'll probably do City Winery. Oh, nice. I'll yeah, see if so, I can get there. Oh, I definitely want to get there. Yeah, I'll that'd bring be my, great. I have to bring my camera. I was a photographer for like 15 years. Oh, good. That'd be great. We need that. Yeah, hey, I'm in. I'm in. I will I will do it for nothing. You guys can just have some photos. I'm a yeah, horrible businessman. That, well, that's, that's great because the, the thing is, is that, you know, we haven't been together from this whole COVID thing except for the – we did one virtual concert that we all flew into uh, Fort Myers in Florida. And so we, I just didn't want to, I was too tired to do pictures. So we just, we just well, well, that'd be great. But, all right. So, so the first uh, One Nation album, it's almost completely instrumental. Was that uh, on purpose or yeah. it was written that way? <laughs> it was, it was. You know, the, um, the only reason that, that um, Revelation had vocal on it was because I was also working with Alex Boyer mm-hmm. and, and uh, he said, Hey, let me write lyrics to this thing. And I said, cool. <laughs> and he did, he wrote, he, he wrote some really cool. He did it really interesting yeah. stuff. So did that uh i did two versions of it if you notice there's yes. one one yeah so one is yeah. called number nine in there yeah Reve- so, revelation nine right yeah Reve- yeah revelation number nine i yep. think it was yeah and so that's 
the rest of the album is all instrumental. And originally that was how I thought we should continue it. But all of a sudden I'm starting to write these other songs that are more prog, uh, you know, more yesy, um, you, uh, Todd Rundgren, Utopia, t- that type of stuff. Right. And, um, and so what happened is this new record has got mostly vocals and only a few instrumentals. Okay. I was going to ask, I've heard two tracks. <laughs> so that, that, that's where I'm getting at where I pretty much do what I want to, you know, do. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really into the label telling me what to do anymore. So that's what we did. And I, that would be great because when we play, then there'll be, you know, a good balance of vocals and a good balance of instrumentals because the instrumentals are really, they're actually really nice. I mean, they, they, they speak for themselves they, without the vocal. I'll tell you, they're, I really loved it. It was, I, I like Prague anyway. So it was yeah. a blast going back and listening to the first album and the two tracks off the upcoming album. They're really good. Now, how did you uh, decide on the singles? Cause they're a little on the long side. You know, one's almost six minutes and one's almost seven right. minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget, Nights nice and White Satin from the Moody Blues, yeah. six minutes long. That's a good point. So, if they don't want to play this stuff, they don't have to. That's, you know? <laughs> I love that. But, uh, I love but, you. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, I still, we don't know if, I mean, those were the, our first two, what we did is we put those out to give people an idea where we're going. Okay. And now that we've, gotten through three quarters of the album, you know, recorded it. There is songs that are, well, there's one that's kind of, a, it's a, it's a, between John Lennon and, and Moody blues. Oh, wow. And that, that will be an interesting, I think that will actually, I, I really love that song. I mean, I, I, it's what, you know, these guys, these songs are like babies, you know, so the, yeah. but, um, and then there's another song called hard rain, which has a, a more of a rock influence and with um with some southern rock stuff in the middle so so oh, you know wow. we, we we're going wherever the journey takes us um and then we have the the instrumentals are, are going to be really cool too one's got a joe Tra- satriani flavor oh um, nice and, and the other one will have I think like Chick Corea return to forever kind of thing. Oh yes. man. So, so there's going to be some nice little gems in there. Um, and then there's an, there's, there's actually another one, but they'll definitely get their, their money's worth. Cause it's probably going to be about 65 minutes worth of music. <laughs> That's fantastic. Put it on there. I love yeah. it. Oh man. I, so, all right. So the, I'm listening to the tracks over the past several days and one step closer. I love that is I love that song. It's got this great seventies prog sound to it, Yeah, but it's also give it a, a lot of room to breathe. Yeah, it reminds me of like later era Rush with more keys because Great. Rush that that's one of the things that I loved about them is they the technique was there but they it, everything served the song 
And yeah. that's what, that's exactly what I feel with one step closer because it's, it's got amazing prog technique, but you're not just cramming notes into, to impress people. You're, yeah. you're letting the song breathe and develop and it's fantastic. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you like it. Cause it, that's actually kind of what made me decide to go forward. Um, okay. Um, because I have, was dabbling with that song, you know, and, and then all of a sudden it started writing it itself. And, uh, and I go, wow, would be neat to have a whole record of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, we're one nation and I came shortly after that. Um, so yeah, I think one step closer has a lot of my influences. It has, has Todd Rundgren's utopia yeah. has, uh, ELP, uh, Emerson Palmer. It has, oh gee, what other stuff does it have in there? Like you said, a little bit of Rush, and that that's uh, that's kind of as a template. Okay. To to know where to go. So because I, I really wanted the vocals. It, well, actually, I I love Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young. Mm-hmm. So oh yeah, their way that their harmonies are. So I wanted to do also. We, we decided to kind of do that with the vocals. Make most of the stuff harmonies yeah and you know once in a while you know there has to be the lead thing but yeah in this case it really is important to me that this is a band and it just makes it so much more fun to do when there's you know you're pulling for your for your buddies and and they're pulling for you and it just makes it uh, i think it's just a much more soulful way to do things it's just uh every have you ever noticed when there's People love bands. They, 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 solo artists. Yeah, they like them. They think they're great. But what happens when they go? You know, they, yeah. who's the more successful? It's, I mean, you know, it's just the way it works. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, it, that's a really good point. I mean, people love the Rolling Stones. They like Mick Jagger's stuff. They like Keith Richards' stuff. But they love the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's it's a it's a like night and day almost. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned uh, we're one nation. That the guitar solo kicks ass on that. I love that that tone. The guitar solo itself is great, but the tone on the guitar. Oh, he's great. I I'm real. I gotta go check out the rest of his stuff because that blew me away. That was so good. Yeah, he's he's a unbelievable. You know, we started out as kids, like I told you, twelve. And when I was a drummer, he heard that I was back from Berkeley, so he brought me into his band in Detroit, uh, a band that he was in, and we worked in that band for a while. It was a during the time, it was uh, probably, that was during the disco year, I think. So, <laughs> so, so the, anyway, we, we did that for a little while until we couldn't stand anymore. Right. So, <laughs> but, but through the years, you know, and, and each of us has grown in our own way. And he's always played a lot of notes. Yeah. But now he plays the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm not gonna let him hear this interview. <laughs> I won't send it to him. <laughs> I also saw that you're actually a, a brand ambassador for Fetch Fido a flight. Yeah. Can you tell oh, me? Thanks for asking about, about that. Yeah. Oh, of course. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, that is a uh, organization in Oklahoma. They rescue dogs that are going to be put to sleep within a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. and it's all the kennels in that area in that central oklahoma area okay and what they do is the shelters 
bring the dogs that are on death row basically yeah bring them to to uh the day that we're the, the liftoff is taking off and they're all in their crates and they get boarded onto the plane uh, which is like a cargo plane mm-hmm. and they are um airlifted to um to the northwest where they'll get homes within a couple of weeks because they love big dogs up there oh wow. and most of these most of them are, are bigger doggies yeah. and um so what happened is one of our moody blues fans was a great gal said you know is there any we, we noticed you're involved in a lot of animal things and is there anything that you can think of that maybe could help us raise money because they have to, each flight costs a lot of money because oh, you, yeah. you're leasing a, leasing a plane and stuff in the pilot and i thought about it and i go you know what i'll come out and we'll do i'll actually fly that flight with the doggies because wow. it's just a few pilots and then there's a jump seat so i, I was in a jump seat oh, now, awesome. i didn't know what i was getting into <laughs> I just did it. So, uh, so we, we got, uh, they said, Oh, that's great. And then they, we got the press out there and, and they, they had a nice outpouring of people donating. Okay. And, uh, so we got all the dogs loaded and they had to get them loaded and it's quite fast because there was a storm coming. And so, um, they're loaded. I'm on, I get on the, in the jump seat and I, I'm smelling <laughs> this smell. And I go, Whoa. And so one of the doggies had Giardia and I was right in, he was basically right in back of me. Oh. So, oh my goodness. So the, we took off and it was a 10 hour, 10 hour flight total. Because oh, like, the plane only would go 200 miles an hour. Oh, wow. So, so it was a prop, it was a prop plane, not a jet, a prop plane. And uh, so we, we made a landing somewhere in Utah and that was, uh, I got some stuff from my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then uh, I just held my nose the rest of the way because I got to tell you, that oh. was, I said, how do you guys do that? The pilots, they, they go, they go, sometimes we have to wear oxygen masks. Oh. Um, so, but we got there, it was all worth it. All the doggies came up, they're all wagging their tails and we washed them all um, and they got food. And then there was a big, like a, almost like a football field that they could play in. Oh, so they're wow. all out there playing. And, and I uh, checked back in a couple of weeks and, and most of the doggies had, had gotten homes and I saw some of the new parents and they were great. They're, you know, they're like, they love these dogs. It wasn't like somebody just taking them, just going to put them on in the back or something. Right, yeah. they, you know, it was, a, it's a great organization and they have many challenges because, um, you know, anytime you try to do something good, there's always people that try to knock it down. Yeah, so, of course. So. My dogs are rescue. So I admit it, you know, seeing that, that you were involved in that it really kind of it was it was special to me so i wanted to find out a little bit more about well that. that's great no and that's i'm glad you brought that up because i i haven't i i should have done that on some of these other ones too because I, it's really it's an important thing to me too so that's excellent yeah. i love it <laughs> well, yeah there's a there's a bunch of other missions that i'm involved with too but um i don't want to I don't want to bring the, the vibe down too much. So we'll, we'll say, we'll, we'll save those for next time. Yeah. We can do a part two. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> so is there a, an expected release date for the new album, which if I am not mistaken, it's called 2021. You got it. All right. That's what you're wearing too. And, uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're going to get it out by the end of summer because we need to get it done for our tour starts. Good idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that puts the pressure on, which we need. We needed the pressure put on. Now, is the uh, songwriting on this collaborative, or are you, are you writing the songs oh. and everybody else is having to learn them? Or I'm pretty much writing the songs, but they put their own identity and their parts in, and okay. it makes it so much more special. Because I, right. I mean, I can play all the instruments, but I don't do it like they do. Right. So. Yeah. So it's uh you know it's really makes a big difference and I um I believe we're gonna do one of Duffy's songs too it's called um, Loopy Loop which is uh, uh you know using the looper and and oh, um cool. and making that into a kind of cool thing so so we should yeah and I consider them you know they're they're so very involved in it and the way it works out is I send it out in one way and it sounds good. But when I get it back, it's a whole new magic to it. That's fantastic. So oh. That's the that's the the best part of a, a band, you know. Yeah. Even with um, big bands, you know that you know Earth, Wind, and Fire or or the Moody Blues, when Justin or John would write a song, a lot of times it would be pretty much they'd have the idea of what it would be, and then they would tell the other guys to do it. So it's just a, this way. Since we're doing things long distance, I I you know record the parts. And then they know generally where we're going to go. Yeah. And, and it goes from there. And it, with the, with the way the complexity of these songs, you almost have to do that because it's, it's kind of like a, it's almost like, uh, you know, like a classical piece. You know, if one, one thing doesn't fit right, it's going to throw everything else off. That's a really good point. Yeah. I guess it is kind of hard to just jam on some pretty complex yeah. prog rock. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now the solos, Duffy, you know, does the solos, just whatever he goes off and does that. And, and the bass part, you know, uh, bass parts, right. And, um, Billy is a fan, you know, unbelievable drummer. I mean, it, he's just technically so f proficient and, uh, he spends a lot of time working his, his parts out to him. It's a composition. He's like, he's such a fan, you know, and he was with, uh, in sync for all those years that oh, they were huge. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then he, then he went to play with Pat Banatar. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's, you know, these guys are, they've, they've been and played all kinds of different kinds of music. So they're, they can do anything they they're want good. to, but you know, <laughs> they're good. <laughs> decided to do this stuff. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> well, where can people find the album when it comes out? How can they follow you and get news and, and keep track of when the release dates and tour dates? Cool. Um, yeah, everything is good is on Alan Hewitt and one nation.com. Um, you have to spend, spell out the and so it's uh. a, a L a N H E W I T T and one nation.com. And everything will be on there. There's the videos on there and the, the, some of the music that we put out just for people to hear and tour dates and reviews and all that kind of stuff excellent and they have links to the social media sites too yes uh the facebook there's a, a link to go to the facebook as well oh, cool so so go there and follow us too we need that excellent man. thank you so much this has been so much fun i've, I've really yeah enjoyed mark this. it's great thanks for having me i appreciate it
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.